American aircraft opens fire on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. What does it mean for troop safety in the region? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. I can confirm an attack last night by Iran-backed militias using a close-range ballistic missile against U.S. and coalition forces at Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, which resulted in several non-serious injuries. A group of veterans advocates is threatening a lawsuit to force Veterans Affairs to provide gender-confirming surgeries. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is November 22nd, 2023. Hey guys, it's good to be back at the mic today. I only thought for a second about not coming back. Uh, The waffles in Belgium were just so delicious, but... I decided against it because I would miss you all too much. Anyways, just a quick note before we get started. We'll be off tomorrow and Friday for Thanksgiving, so we hope everyone has a wonderful and restful holiday weekend. But be sure to tune back in on Monday. We'll have a conversation about how the passage of the short-term budget deal to prevent a government shutdown is impacting the Defense Department. Now back to the episode. First up, the U.S. fired back on an Iranian-backed militia vehicle that fired a missile at U.S. barracks in Iraq. It's the first time the Pentagon announced such defensive actions and brings the total of attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq alone to more than 30. This self-defense strike resulted in some hostile fatalities. And since I know you'll ask, U.S. forces have been attacked approximately 66 times since October 17th, 32 separate times in Iraq, and 34 separate times in Syria. U.S. personnel have sustained approximately 62 injuries, but this does not include any injuries from last night's attack as they are still being evaluated. For more updates on this, Military Times Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers sits down with us. So Megan, the Pentagon reported that the troops in Iraq shot back against Iranian-backed militias. What did Pentagon officials say happened in that exchange? So on Monday night, an Iran-backed militia fired a close-range ballistic missile on al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, which houses U.S. troops. There was an AC-130 gunship already in the air over the area, and so that ship um, was able to track the vehicle that fired the missile and in retaliation fire on that vehicle and cause casualties to um, these Iran-backed militia members. So is there concern of further attacks or U.S. responses to these growing number of provocations? How does this news impact the current situation in the region? So what the Pentagon is saying about uh, this attack and this retaliatory action is that this is kind of part and parcel of what's been going on over the past month or so in Iraq and Syria. There have been 66 attacks total so far between the two countries, and there have been three pre-planned announced retaliatory strikes on facilities in Syria that the U.S. has carried out. This is the first time that a quick reaction strike, like with this AC-130 tracking down this vehicle and immediately firing back. Um, This is the first time that a a counter-strike like that has been announced. Usually, um, the Pentagon doesn't say anything when that immediate action is taken. They really only talk about the the pre-planned attacks. So this is kind of new. The Pentagon couldn't really say how many of these, um, you know, immediate immediate reaction 
strikes have taken place, but it shows that there have actually been more than, you know, just the three retaliatory strikes over the past month. The Pentagon has said verbatim they reserve the right to uh, respond to attacks at a time and place of their choosing. Um, And they have said they're trying to be very, very um, specific and very targeted of of how they retaliate. So hitting um, weapons facilities to sort of degrade the capabilities of these Iran-backed militias. But they haven't they haven't given a full picture, basically, of all the times that they have hit back. Now, when asked, you know, are these retaliatory strikes working? They they say, you know, we don't want to have a broader conflict in the Middle East. The idea is not to directly hit Iran, though Iran finances and trains these militia groups. Um, the U.S. is really focusing on being able to degrade their capabilities in Iraq and Syria. And to them uh, and to the U.S., that that looks like hitting facilities in Syria or responding to attacks now as they come, rather than doing anything symbolic in Iran. In other news, veterans advocacy groups are threatening to sue the Department of Veterans Affairs over delayed surgery options for transgender veterans. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough told Military Times this a couple weeks ago about the delay. It's just over two years ago that we made the initial announcement. The next step will be the unnotional set of rules for how we'll do that. That's how we add services to the suite of services that we we provide at VA. That's with me, as I've told you before. It's been with you for quite some time. It has. It has. And as the person uh, who called for this and as the person who will defend it when we do it, when I'm ready to do it, I'll do it. And I've, I've not said anything more than that. For more on this, though, Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode today to talk about this possible lawsuit. So, Leo, could you explain to us what's going on? Because some listeners, and including myself after reading your story, thought this issue had already been decided earlier near the beginning of the Biden administration. Yeah, a lot of folks think that VA already did take care of all this. Two years ago, VA announced that they'd start offering gender-conforming surgeries to transgender veterans uh, if they want it, that they were going to start the rulemaking process, figure out uh, what staff could do this, what they needed to, to add in terms of medical facilities and medical training. Um, but we're here, you know, two and a half years later almost, and nothing has moved forward. Um, VA on a number of occasions has said that they're still looking into it. But now the Transgender American Veterans Association is saying, look, we're sick of this. We're sick of waiting. We're going to sue you to make this go into effect because this is affecting transgender veterans' lives. Uh, this is a matter of not just self-confidence, not just uh, mental health, but it's also a matter of, uh, of financial problems that if VA uh, is my primary caregiver and you're not not providing all the services I need and I have to go outside, pay for it on my own. That's a that's a, another financial stressor. So um, so the Transgender American Veterans Association is teaming up with the Yale Law School Veterans Legal Services Clinic. Uh, the two of them have sent a letter saying, we're going to sue by the middle of next month unless there's a clear path ahead on this. So then what has been the VA's response to this threat of a lawsuit? Yeah, VA is still saying, we'll let you know when we're when we're up to it. I had a chance to ask Secretary McDonough this in our sit-down with him earlier this month, talking about a whole range of, of veterans' issues. 
And he acknowledged, look, it's it's taken longer than than he might have wanted. He's taken longer than a lot of folks want it. But uh, he said he's he's still behind it. He's still committed to doing it. But he's going to do it in the way that he feels is best for the uh, best for the department and best for the veterans. Um, and that means still moving ahead slowly, still working through this rulemaking process and making sure that he feels everything is all buttoned up and in order before they move ahead. Great. Thank you for joining us, Leo. Also on your radar for today, the U.S. military is looking to deploy personnel more quickly to challenge bad actors who try to sway public opinion. Colin Demarest, our C4ISR net reporter, joins the episode today. So Colin, what is this information force that they're calling it that the Pentagon is looking to strengthen? So information warfare comprises a lot of things, like collecting intelligence on an enemy, doing public outreach and damage control shaping those public narratives and batting down foreign influence campaigns. I typically describe it as a persuasive mix of offensive and defensive electronic capabilities and cyber operations. It's a combination of awareness and manipulation before, during, and after major events or or fighting. So that's what the Pentagon wants to improve or, or bolster. Its ability to collect more information than its competitors, use that information to its advantage, deny that same leg up to others, and control the overarching story. And obviously something like this can get sensitive or or stay closely held. It's not like governments want to discuss the means by which they deceive or influence foreign affairs. And none of this is super new either. Think about dropping pamphlets from aircraft or propaganda posters of old. So what are some examples that military leaders are particularly worried about? Um, Could you provide maybe some more recent examples that have military leaders saying they need to, in a way, up their game? Yeah, so to kind of predict the future, maybe we can look a little ways back or even a couple months back. So one would be Russia's interference in U.S. elections. Obviously, that's Moscow meddling in stateside affairs with their own goals in mind. And the U.S. has to defend against that to to varying degrees of success, as 2016 has shown. Another would be how the U.S. and its allies published otherwise classified intelligence concerning Russia's material buildup on the Ukrainian border in 2021 and 2022. That helped galvanize public support for Ukraine ahead of the invasion. You also see Ukrainian officials now posting videos and memes and the like about the war. And fourthly would be in the continued Israel-Hamas war. You see a ton of mis- and disinformation about the conflict on social media. Is that on purpose? Who's trying to deceive who? What reaction is party A trying to elicit from party B? Is it outrage, pity, etc.? And how do you filter out that noise to really identify the truth? And now here are some other stories we're hearing chirps about. The Charlotte Observer reported that Marine veteran Lee Stutz was recently charged over his actions during the insurrection on January 6, 2021. North Korea claimed it successfully placed a spy satellite into orbit with its third launch attempt this year. The claim could not immediately be independently confirmed, though. Military.com reported the Pentagon finally published its long-awaited policy allowing cadets and midshipmen to continue their education at the nation's service academies if they have children while enrolled, instead of having to leave school. And in case you missed it, yesterday the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and the Naval Academy revealed their football team's uniforms ahead of the annual Army-Navy game next month. Army's Black Knights will honor soldiers of the 3rd Infantry Division, and the Midshipmen will honor the Silent Service, the U.S. Submarine Force. And on this day in history, in 1963, President John F. Kennedy was shot as he rode in a motorcade through the streets of Dallas, Texas.
That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, Leo Shane III, and Colin Demarest. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruse. Have a great day.